0: So I grew up in Perth, uh, grew up born in the eighties, um, and I'm the uh, grew up in a suburb of the East Cannington, which is sort of like a bit away from the ocean, I guess. So Perth is known for its nice beaches, but I was a little bit far away from that. And I'm the youngest of three brothers. Uh, and I, when I do talks, I talk about it a lot because there's two peculiar things about me and my brothers. There's the first is that we're all called Abdul. So there's Abdul Karim, Abdul Rahman, and I'm actually Abdul Hamid, but I don't use my full name. And uh, the other peculiar thing is that we all went to art school. So the oldest one, he went there. He finished in like '94. I finished undergrad in 2008, and Abdul Rahman, the middle one, went back as a mature age student and finished in 2012. So for 20 years, there was always an Abdul floating around the art school.
1: Are they? Um, are they all still practicing artists?
0: Uh, Abdul Rahman is. So the one who went, who finished after me, he's. Uh, uh, an amazing sculptor. Uh, primarily he works like with wood, like wood carving, um, but has shown all over the place in Australia. He's doing the Adelaide Biennial for the second time uh, next month. So he's like, nice. gets around. Um, and then Abu Karim, the oldest one, he went into uh, education and then into juvenile justice centres and adult prisons, uh, teaching art. And then now he runs uh, secondary and tertiary education in in regional Correctional services in Western Australia. So, all the prisons that are out in the country, he sort of runs education there. Right. So, he's probably doing the, the best stuff, but it's all through, it's all has an art base, but then now he's kind of more broad with his like managerial position, I guess, when it comes to education there.
1: How did your um parents always feel about you guys all doing art? Because it's usually, I mean, the artists in the family is usually the, you know, the odd one out disappointment that, you know, everyone's worried about. In, as they're as growing up, but how, were your parents quite encouraging of all of you then? Or
0: Yeah, we were really lucky in that respect. Cause so Like um, my oldest brother, like we all enjoyed making art. My oldest brother studied art because he didn't get the marks to do English that he wanted to study. Uh, and then um, the other brother, he followed him. So Abba Rahman, the middle one, who's the sculptor, we joke around, I joke around all the time that he's the most um, enthusiastic art student because he did first year five times and dropped out four times. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, eventually finishes a mature age student.
1: That's kind of more. Ad, it's kind of more admirable in that sense. Uh, he's just he's bloody persistent.
0: <laughs> he's definitely persistent. And but yeah, our folks were like kind of really supportive. So before I studied art, I studied journalism, did two and a half years of that, and then uh, switched over to an art degree. And it was kind of yeah, there was absolutely no resistance from my folks. So encouraged it, and they just liked the idea. And I was just following in the steps of, of my, both my brothers who had gone before me
1: and did your early education as a journalist have any impact on the art that you make because you sort of uh i kind of look at your work you almost sort of seem to be documentarian first artist second in a lot of sense like in sort of in in the subjects that you approach there's sort of very contemporary uh, i think of sort of like um a lot of your explosion paintings and stuff sort of seem like very current current affairs pieces would you say that's accurate
0: yeah, I'd say so. And it's, I think the journalism definitely affected the way that I research a project and how I approach making art. Um, and I've also said before that uh, that that for me, art served a similar function to journalism, except it wasn't burdened by any type of objectivity. So I could mm. be as re- emotional and reactive and responsive as I want. I could make stuff up if I wanted. It was just totally up to me. So I like that. And that's one of the reasons that motivated me to shift over from journalism to art was just how much more fun I had when I was producing. Mm. So that – it was um definitely, definitely affected the way that I, I think about things and the way that I frame things.
1: Do you feel like you need to go to art school as uh, an artist?
0: Oh, I can't – I can only speak on behalf of myself. Like, I, I don't think that you have to, but, like, in, in the case of – my personal experience, it absolutely was a benefit, like it definitely helped me and set me up, but not necessarily in the way. And this is something which I talked to two prospective art students about too. I'll talk about how important it was for me, but it wasn't exactly what you get out of the pamphlet. Like it was what was important for me was sort of time in a studio without any pressure around it, uh, apart from like marks and stuff. But I was never really I took an adversarial approach to art school. So with the undergrad especially, I was just like battled with my lecturers the whole time um just caused a whole lot of grief and they probably thought I was an arsehole and I probably was in a lot of situations and uh but it what I got out of it was it felt it felt like a little bit of um a bit more like a gauntlet um and it was stress testing ideas and some ideas fell off and some ideas like continued but it was a good opportunity to do that in a space that was kind of siloed away from the real world and i also got to meet a whole like my generation of artists in perth who were all interested in the same things in the years above me and the years below me and we sort of all came up together so like a guy david collins uh who i was in the same year with we were like best mates we were real good mates and he's taken like his a photographer, and he's always been with me. He's taken the photo, like all my photographs. He's been the one behind the camera as I've been directing it. like, And it's those type of relationships and friendships that sort of you lean on each other and you're there to be a on, and sort of it's so much easier to do things together, have group shows and that sort of thing and sort of share information and materials and opportunities. And uh, that's how I got my start. So I, and I've met a whole bunch of people that haven't gone to art school, and I think that's the hardest part for them, like just sort of meeting people and getting involved in it. Uh, and you're forced to meet people in art school and you're forced to have these conversations. So like, yeah, like it's your very early networks and friendships, like they'll, they'll start there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's really important, but I know plenty of people that haven't done it too.
1: Yeah. I, um, my experience was exactly the same, actually, like with all the respect in the world to my lecturers and teachers and stuff. I can't, I couldn't tell you sort of what to this day I learned. From art school but at but at the same but at the same time, it was yeah a trial by fire in terms of um getting to deadlines, definitely, like my productivity increased um also just a sort of concentration of criticism like on the group like would you have group crits and stuff yeah, yeah. definitely i've
0: got I've got a video of my third year crit, and it's the most embarrassing thing <laughs> that I, I was yeah oh, I just. Argued within the whole time, I was so defensive, mm. and I just had my paintings from the semester. And admittedly, like one of the lecturers there was, a, was I think, a bit of a prick, and the other one was really nice. But it was, it was just from the beginning. It's like, and they just having a go at how defensive I am, and I'm just, yeah, it's just, it's kind of like sparring, and nothing really good came out of it. But it's good to look back on.
1: Mm. um It's, um, I've certainly
0: re- relaxed a bit since then. But, but did you have similar experiences like that?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah, the the group crits i just i don't know whether it's um like i feel i've sort of had a bit more of a recent breakthrough in my own art just by i mean it sounds kind of you know soppy and pretentious but like i don't i feel like i don't really need validation anymore for a lot of the work i make um and i don't know whether the group crit sort of pushed me towards that or was the opposite of that do you know what i mean because you're sort of forced into a situation where you're trying to please all these different people uh, and I always found I had – always be – because you'd have like 20 people in a group group crit class and they've all got these you know, varied opinions on what art's about. Um, and so they're giving you all these varied op- opinions and one person saying, you know, why don't you do a, uh, a performance piece version of this painting that you've done. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And then by the end, like, you know, one hour later into the crit, someone's, you know, telling you that you've got to do a, a sculpture and a video piece of it. And I just found it very, very confusing, but – yeah, whether that pushed me towards not giving a shit about what people thought or the opposite, I'm not sure. But it was interesting. It was definitely very interesting. Oh,
0: totally. I've got a couple of things to say on that. Like, one, in that, like, the whole idea of too many cooks, is like, yeah. spoiling the brew, like, it's just like taking advice from everyone.
1: Worst example of that
0: yeah exactly yeah. and and, yeah. and it's so much easier it's almost a cop out for lecturers and other students alike to talk about what's not there so like why don't you do this thing that you haven't done as opposed to mm-hmm. about what you're doing and then like and i was such so much of an asshole about it that i remember in that video in that third year crit at the beginning i was like um like to the students because i couldn't oh i kind of said it to the lecturers but i'd said it to the students as well i was like oh i don't want any feedback (laughs) Mm. because i've already spoken to the people that i want to get feedback from but it's sort of like getting it like now i i like everything that i do i bounce off my brother there's a couple other artists that i speak to like a couple of mentors and kind of like someone can give you really good advice but if they're coming it's coming from the wrong person at the wrong time then it's kind of useless so it's
1: It's it's worse worse than useless. It's counterproductive, I think, because it's um like I even I've said this before that I actually value the opinion of like a lot a lot of my mates um are definitely not sort of in in the art world. They sort of come from like you know a lot of them are chippies and tradies and stuff and um been my best mates my whole life, and I I sort of value their opinion a lot more than um you know someone who might have gone to art school just because it's not it's not polluted with all this sort of jargon you know there's sort of um you know they haven't sort of i don't know i just think sort of a lot of I, I much prefer a uh just face value opinion on something like do you like it do you not like it and it's funny as well because a lot of my mates will say um they'll be a bit sort of insecure or embarrassed to give an opinion I'll, I'll say to like my mate gracie james i'll say i'll i'll say to him you know oh what do you think of this and he sort of goes a bit red and face, like feels like he doesn't want to give me his opinion because he you know feels like he shouldn't or something um, but it's often, you know, a much more valuable opinion because I just do you like it or do you not like it? I'll be like, no, I don't really like it. It's like good. Just that's all I needed to know. Do you know what I mean?
0: Oh, totally. They'll give it to you straight.
1: Yes, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah
0: t- totally. And that's so valuable. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, having people that you trust too. They're not gonna There's not really an agenda to it.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I feel like a lot of. I feel like a lot of group crits were sort of just an uh, excuse to sort of I don't know. Go on tangents about your. Artistic knowledge or something. But anyway.
0: Oh, performative. Definitely performative. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a good way of putting it.
0: well man, I'll tell you like my first ever crit, which kind of got me into uh deciding to swap over to all of like going to art school full time, was uh it was my first year crit and before I had some paintings up, they weren't very good, just first year paintings. Um but before I was before before the crit, I was a bit hungry, so I went to a vending machine, got a crunch bar. And the crunch bar came out as a hot day, it was melted, so it was just squishy. So I'm not gonna open it. So I just chucked it on the table in front of my paintings. And my lecturer spent 10 minutes talking about the crunch
1: bar. <laughs> Mate, that is the that the amount of time something like that has happened is like people wouldn't believe it. If you told people who haven't been to art school how often stuff like that happens, or when you're when when someone's done like a, a installation piece like in the hallway. Or, or someone's just dropped something in the hallway and you just see all day, you see people sort of just sidling past it. So you might see someone just sort of like staring at it on the ground and you're just like, fuck me. <laughs> yeah. Is this something? Yeah. yeah. How, how far is your, how different would your work from art school look to the kind of work you make now? Do you think?
0: Oh, in terms of the portraiture that I was doing, it's not too similar. Like it's developed over, cause that's like over 10 years ago now. Um, but it was it was solely focused on portraiture. By the time I was in third year, that's all I was interested in doing. Um, and now it's kind of just expanded a bit, subject-wise, but also material-wise. Like painting is still the backbone of my practice, but now doing embroideries, more photography. Uh, like the Adelaide Biennial, I had a sculpture, like sort of sort of working around in in different spaces. Um, so it has definitely expanded, but all those. F- first steps they were all like cemented pretty early on like the 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 my application to paint and the way that i do it is uh was is the way that i was doing it by the time i was in third year mm. like that's got a ch- chunky way of applying paint um and i've kind of i was just stuck with it ever since
1: did you get a lot of pushback for not only being a representational painter at art school but also for painting portraits were you seen as a bit were you seen as a bit old-fashioned in that sense
0: yeah definitely and and i went to Curtin in perth for undergrad and they the they really encouraged the students to do a different medium every semester so mm. the you, they didn't want you to do painting twice and really they only had one painting in it and i did it like every year that i was there so you'd go through the same processes the same class mm. workshops and that sort of thing just do them over and over again for the second year and third year um so there was a bit of resistance from that but i had a pretty good relationship with my main painting lecturer so he wasn't I never got resistance from him, but he wouldn't necessarily be the one that was doing the crits at the end of the semester. Mm. So there was there there was always pushback. And like I also like I when I was in art school and for years afterwards, I worked at a boxing gym just as an like an an assistant, like assistant trainer. I fought when I was a kid, but like this was like working there. And I was always a little bit too boxing gym for art school, too art school for the boxing gym. So maybe I was just a little bit surly or a little bit like stubborn. And, and yeah, so that would never, that would never be a smooth sort of thing with my lecturers. They would always, I would always butt heads and I kind of wouldn't take a step back, which is to my detriment sometimes.
1: Mate, I was, I was the exact same. I mean, I think like I love combat sport as well. And I, um, I don't know too many people who are sort of into boxing or MMA or jujitsu and also into um uh, and it's definitely you definitely get pushed back at art school for that i mean if i don't know i feel like if you're kind of seen as a bit of a jock or something at art school if you're into sport of any kind would you agree with that
0: yeah totally totally it was just sort of like yeah the idea that you are
1: you should be, yeah, you, should be you should be doing heroin smoking cigarettes um starving uh, it's good for self, self-destructive self habits are good for business as an artist. <laughs>
0: yeah. Well, that's, that's the crazy thing. Like I was talking to, there's an artist, one of my good mates in Sydney, Jason Foo, he's a nuts artist. Uh, he, um, we were talking today and we were complaining about some of the, like the painters that are historically held up to high esteem in, uh, in Sydney and in Australia really. But we were talking about Brett Whiteley and a more content- even more contentious person like his Donald friend. Who, who in his published essays you know he came out as a pedophile um and he's like obviously there's like a lot of pushback towards him in, in what he's done but he's also supported a lot by a lot of collectors a lot of art like older mm. art people still hold him in high esteem and we, we were comparing with the football like where we were like like sure there are like footy players who like run amok but if they were pedophiles mm.
1: they're
0: out they're out forever like 100 sort of,
1: throw away the key but
0: this yeah, this guy is mm. still his works are still valued and stuff like that. So it's sort of that's bizarre like, though. Yeah, isn't it a strange comparison? Like it's like why do we and like even Brett Whiteley, like he was notorious. Well, actually, I've got to be careful what I say publicly, so I've got in trouble with it before. But yep. allegedly, there are a lot of 15 year olds, and it's sort of like that's
1: I know I never knew that, really. Wow, allegedly. Allegedly,
0: allegedly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's it's um And but he's still like he's definitely held in high esteem, and it's sort of the highest
1: esteem, yeah,
0: yeah, Yeah. totally. And it's sort of like that's gross,
1: (laughs) yeah, (laughs) it's weird, yeah, Yeah, it's weird what, um, it's weird what sort of a scene is. I I just I feel like, um, because Hemingway was always like Ernest Hemingway was always you know massively into his um boxing and stuff, and it was quite a sort of that's probably the example of uh macho being conveyed the most artistically you can think of out of anyone in sort of in art generally i think um but i also just think like art sorry combat sport i've always just seen as like the most artistic of sports in terms of not just aesthetically how it looks like it's the purest form of self-expression physically i think um like if you if you just saw like a silhouette of conor mcgregor you'd know immediately like fighting you'd know immediately who that is and you could say that of most fighters i think whereas in i mean if you saw an nfl player or soccer player it'd be a lot harder to distinguish between the two um and i've always just thought it's like boxing is kind of like it's not quite it's not quite war and it's not quite sport it's sort of like in between and it sort of and it's has the same drama of a movie because of that even though even though it's happening live and it's in real life that's why i've always found it so so intriguing it's it's the most intriguing performance art is how i kind of look at it
0: oh absolutely and there's that mm. saying where you can play sport but you can't play boxing it's still yes. you're still fighting and saying would are saying with mma now like you can't just play at mma you have been competing you're you're fighting mm. like
1: do follow do do follow boxing quite a lot yeah follow boxing and mma like i just love
0: combat sports it's sort of I've I love the fact that I can watch pay per view streaming every weekend, <laughs> which <Yeah>. is awesome. <laughs> yeah.
1: Are you going to watch the um? Are you going to watch the Whitaker Adesanya fight? Is it next week?
0: Uh, you're not this weekend, but next weekend, absolutely. No. Yeah,
1: who are you going, yeah. Who are you going for?
0: I am. I really, really love them both. Um, but I'm. Uh, so that's that's a hard one because I really like Whitaker, but mm. I've always just really liked Adesanya as well. Like, and and even through, i I'd said, heard of him before UFC in uh he did had a couple of professional boxing fights so obviously kickboxing but he also had some boxing fights and he beat the older brother of a friend of mine so i heard about adesanya, this guy
1: adesanya did yeah
0: yeah, yeah in, a, in, a, in a in a boxing match in a cruiserweight fight and i was so i sort of was aware of him a bit earlier so when he came into ufc like i was just like this guy is really fantastic but love robert Whitaker,
1: and mm. think he's amazing i think i think it's sort of intriguing like robert Whitaker just in the way he carries himself is I think like one of the most impressive guys ever and he's he's my favorite Australian athlete probably like gonna the last 20 years pretty much and it's 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 amazing how I mean MMA does have a big community in Australia but I guess in public media it's not really celebrated very much and the fact that we've got Volkanovski as a featherweight champ and you know he's like he's never invited onto the project or whatever, you know, to be interviewed or something. And uh, same, same with Robert, same with Robert Whittaker. It's, it's interesting how Australia uh, at least culturally sort of pushes back a bit against it.
0: Yeah. These are world champions. Like mm. We don't have that many world champions.
1: Mm. We've and got like so- Ash
0: Barty in tennis and then mm. like who else
1: at a professional level is, is oh, so that high. Got, we've got our cricket players, um, but yeah, no one else really. We used, I feel like we used to have heaps of, like we used to dominate every sport and now we've been, and we've plateaued a bit as far as performance goes.
0: But, yeah, yeah, totally, totally. <laughs>
1: um, who were some of your early artistic influences?
0: Oh, so when I was in art school, especially, and still, like, still love them, like, uh, like Jenny Seville was a huge one, mm. like coming across her work. I got to meet her when she was in Sydney, just really? very briefly. But she, that was, I was, she talked to the art gallery in New South Wales. And then I was talking with one of the curators there at, at the talk. And she was like, oh, do you want to come meet her? I was like, oh, yeah, okay. I had nothing to say. I was just like, oh, nice to meet you. Fanboy I love out. your work. Yeah. yeah, totally fanboy out. But like her application of paint is just incredible. And then prior to that, like uh, like Lucian Freud and stuff was always the way that he applied paint. And then you and ugly they're all British, but like, yeah, yeah you and Ugly's application of paint was always incredible. So yeah, that's what drew me. And then, like, uh, I'm going to stuff up the pronunciation, but like, Neo, Neo, Neo Rock, ne- I think ne- from ne- Roush. Yeah, 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 yeah. Someone yeah. told me it's Rock that runs with Trout, but I don't know. Because to...
1: I think it's Neo Roush. Yeah. I might be getting that wrong. Yeah.
0: We're yeah. definitely talking about the same person. Though. Yes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, but mate, those, like, they were my favorite artists about, like Frank Albark, Freud, Jenny Saville. And Paul Rego. that's pretty much why I moved to London was just like, this is where they're all from or currently are. Um, Jenny, Saville, Jenny Saville, as well as like, I reckon the best example of what we were talking about earlier with that perfectly in between abstraction and representation, don't you think?
0: Oh, absolutely. Like, and just like close-ups of her work. Mm. Like, I've only seen, I'll say maybe two or three in real life, like, uh, but just, yeah, seeing the thickness of paint compared to the thinness and the, yeah, the, it's just, wow. Mm. It, think, it's yeah. like a um
1: technically she's probably the best painter at the moment i think
0: yeah so do i it's sort of like a her marks are kind of like a this this is such fanboying out but it's kind of like a samurai it's sort of like yeah it's a it's thought a hundred... about and then a mark is made no that's <laughs> yeah.
1: that's a, i reckon that's quite a good um that's a good metaphor for it because yeah and she's all into that sort of scarification of the of the human form and stuff and you know she does you're very aware of the fleshiness of the faces that she's painting and yeah they just look like yeah, sword strokes into the into the canvas but, nah. and
0: there, there's not much room for error in that like there must be so much thought that goes into mm. it or drafts or whatever because like those marks you can't just wipe that off like especially mm. when you can see the, the the canvas coming yeah it's yeah spectacular i think it's tough
1: and it's interesting to see what she does with uh the tradition of art as well do you follow do you follow her on instagram yeah, I do. I do. But what do you mean? Have you? Well, have you seen those? Um, she's sort of she's been working on those sort of Madonna and Child reworkings in uh, in Florence lately, and she's sort of I, I love the way she's she's almost like it's like a second Renaissance. She's sort of re- reviving a lot of the um, ideas and sort of styles of figuration from the Renaissance, and it's quite interesting to see. I even heard. Um, I was watching uh, this video on Gogosian's YouTube channel the other day, and. Uh, someone, I can't remember who it was, but the person who was doing the walkthrough was looking at some of Jenny Seville's work and was saying how it's almost the equivalent of, do you know, Michelangelo's, um, prisoner sculptures? Have you seen those before? No, they're like, no, they're, they, they look half completed. So it's like a, um, it's a imagine like a half completed sculpture. So it looks like the, the nude figure is sort of writhing, trying to get out of the stone. And it's sort of um, oh, you, you'd recognize them for sure if, if you saw. Yeah, them. yeah,
0: no, I do. But yeah, 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 so. definitely.
1: Now saying it, absolutely. But yeah, and so like in that sense, you're sort of reworking those ideas as well. But um, yeah, one of the goats for sure. Um, why do you think you like painting portraits? What? Why do you warm to it?
0: Uh, in the same way that I approached journalism, in the fact that I was looking at problems, really. Like, and you know, I guess all art is problem solving, but I was looking at sort of local and global political issues and i figure all these issues all this politics all the all the all the world's problems essentially are people problems so that was my focus and a way to communicate that it's it's sort of these days i haven't done many portraits aside from like for the competitions in in australia which is interesting when i'm talking to friends from london who are artists who are spinning out about the money that's involved in portrait prizes in Australia and how much of it it is, how the biggest like art show in Australia is a portrait prize. a 100 grand or 150 grand for marine.
1: Is that only unique to Australia? Like are there, do a lot of other countries not really have heaps of prizes? Like even the
0: Turner Prize is, I, I, I could get this wrong because it might have been updated, but last time I saw the Turner Prize in 2014 or 15 or something like that and I, it was like 40K or 30K pounds, like 30,000 pounds. But
1: still it's the most prestigious prize in the world pretty much.
0: Yeah, totally. And right. that you get more for the Moran in Australia, which is that's,
1: bizarre to me. It's almost like a reflection of the competitive sporting culture in Australia sort of f- fused with art. Right.
0: Definitely. And the, the fact that the only uh, art prize, the only art thing in the, that's going to be on the front page of the paper every year is going to be the Archibald and, and the winner. Mm. So it's sort of it's an interesting focus.
1: Are you putting in a piece this year for the Archibald?
0: Every year I say that I, I'm done with it. <laughs> but mm. I'll probably put one in I just haven't started. <laughs>
1: yeah. I um Are you going to are you going to do one this year? Well, I did um it's really frustrating actually because I did a portrait of um uh Brendan Murphy who's this um, lawyer who was involved in the Nicola Gobbo case from 2 years ago, 3 years ago. Um and I was really happy I mean I hadn't even considered putting it into the Archibald and I haven't entered the Archibald for quite a few years, but I was just I was happy enough with it that I was like, "Oh, we might as well put that in and um, but then I was looking at the terms and conditions the other day and it says you have to have lived in Australia between for the, for the whole year, like from 1st of April, 2021 to 1st of April, 2022. So the irony of the irony of not being able to leave the country for two bloody years and then being punished for it wasn't, wasn't lost on me. Um,
0: yeah, Or well, maybe the, what about the Moran or something? Do they have the same rules? Like, is, <sighs> is that peculiar? Cause I know that you, yeah, that is interesting.
1: I'll double check it with the Moran, um, but yeah, yeah, it was frustrating. Another example of rules for rule sake in Australia, I thought, but I was just, yeah, that was a pain in the ass. <laughs> yeah, do you feel um do you feel portraiture and figurative painting generally is enjoying a bit of a resurgence just in the whole art world at the moment?
0: Oh, definitely. like I was um I had a show at the Armory Show in New York. Actually, that was I keep saying last year, 2020, COVID's been a hell of a thing. But like the works that were there and at Art Basil, uh, it's, it's just figurative stuff everywhere and it's figurative painting. Like so much stuff coming out of LA, so much stuff coming out of the UK, and it's 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 like people are even giving shit to it, calling it like zombie figurativism, like they like they had zombie mm. formalism a little while ago. But it's sort of but there's yes, and it's 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 the stuff that I find most exciting. Mm. Like so I'm really, I'm really pumped for that, like Jenna Gribben and stuff. There's heaps, there's just like heaps of stuff coming out and what they're doing is so interesting and I hope that it keeps kicking for a while.
1: I think, and we were talking about it earlier, It sort of, it was seen as being, it wasn't really given its due for a large portion of the 20th century. It was kind of seen as old fashioned and now people are kind of starting to think, nah, there's actually, there's a reason why it's probably the most most has been the most respected art form in the last sort of 500 years so um yeah that's no, good to see very good to see um are painting for the sulman prize in 2018 everything ever all at once what was that piece about
0: so that's the explosion with the white cartoony figure mm, over the, the
1: caricature top. Mm.
0: Yeah, so that's it's a, it's, a, it's a painting that um Part of a series of paintings where I had the, all the explosions were missile tests. So for me, it was talking about something serious, but being like just tr- having a bit of humour when I did it. So the the cartoon figure over there, I was researching different uh, propaganda cartoons from like the thirties and forties, around the time between World War One and World War Two, sort of thing, uh, and kind of made an amalgamation of these, just a character that's inspired by them without being too specific to any one figure, but just pretty broad in the hope that he was kind of broadly relatable if somebody looked at it they could see themselves in it without it being looking like anyone in particular and the 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 figure is just is sort of been blown away by the explosion but the whole that the whole basis for that entire show was looking back on it in hindsight it's kind of that meme of a cartoon dog sitting in a cafe on fire having a coffee just mm. going, everything is fine. So you've got this quite funny figure over the top, and these explosions happening underneath. I like to juxtapose these things and kind of mash them together. Where you've got, you've got these humorous entry points. You've got something which is like broadly relatable and something that can draw people in. And then as they unpack it a little bit, and that might just be in the artist statement, some mm. of the other stuff happens. And that actually started with, uh, in the studio painting, just a missile test. With the, in, with the intention of painting them like someone would paint a bouquet of flowers, just like a beautifully done explosion. And that was the starting point. And it was a friend who came into the studio who was like, oh, that looks like a brain. And so the first thing I did was draw a cartoon face over it as if it was somebody's brain exploding. And then that kind of just expanded into a whole series of explosions interacting mm-hmm. or not interacting with this weird little cartoon person.
1: And But was, painted big. <laughs> yeah, 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 they're huge. Um, I was watching an interview, that you uploaded a video to your Instagram account a couple of weeks ago, and um, you were talking about how uh, you try to paint political subjects without being overly didactic and sort of earnest, and is the, is the caricature drawn over that, is that meant to, it kind of offsets the seriousness of the subject matter, so it doesn't come across too earnest or too didactic, is that why you do it?
0: Yeah, like I don't want to hit anyone over the head with a political position. I don't want to, because otherwise it is like, otherwise it is propaganda for me. Like if it's just me telling someone how it is, because I don't really know how it is. Oh, but I'll, I can, I can offer an opinion or offer a a situation or a challenge. So I like to think of the work as offerings um, for people to engage with their own politics and just to see where they fit in relation to that sort of thing, and maybe offer a different perspective or something like that without trying to convert anyone, because it's not really what I'm trying to do I'm trying to be a little bit persuasive but not like like you're with me or against me sort of thing Mm because I find that is really uh you don't get good outcomes like that I think and it's
1: very divisive I I feel the same way like I I mean I sort of nerd out on politics quite a lot actually if you ask any of my friends but um I sort of hesitate to make political statements because I think it's healthy to be suspicious of your own opinions and sort of you know understand that you're not even aware of your own biases at the time. And so I sort of, I hesitate to, politics is such a serious thing that I hesitate to get involved in it in any respect to, because I don't think it should be, influ- I'd hesitate to influence no matter how minuscule um, the sort of conversation is around anything political. I'd hesitate to have any influence on that because I understand that um, yeah everyone's everyone's opinion or most people's opinion is somewhat flawed so i sort of yeah sympathize with that a lot i think
0: oh totally and and like going back to what we were saying before one of the big differences between what i was making in art school and what i'm making now is in art school there was no politics i just wanted to paint pictures of my friends and that's all i was interested
1: in doing but did everyone but did but did everyone in art school paint about paint political work
0: it really wasn't encouraged, actually, where I was at. Like, really? I, I, yeah, I think BC, i try actually. I tried to do honors at VCA, didn't get in. I've done my master's since in in Sydney, but like mm. the I, the 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 culture there was different. Like, and uh, which I come to I, I came to understand later, and in, in hindsight, because my brother did first year at VCA the last time they did first year, and sort of the fifth gone. got to know it a bit. Yeah. The, fifth time and then he ended up doing second year back in Perth Kit. but like the in my when I was doing undergrad no one was making political work and it was really discouraged so was, and I'd seen I had seen a lot of bad political work a lot of like right on the nose like really obvious stuff that I I was I was worried that I was just going to make crap work if I did it and like Embarrassingly, like when I was in high school and like straight out of high school, I used to make music. I even got played on Triple J a couple of times under different aliases. Really, but
1: what it, was kind like of
0: music? A, it was like hip hop, but I would make uh, uh, it was like political conscious rap. Which is when I look back on it, like I'm still a little bit proud, but it's embarrassing as well. But I didn't want to make the equivalent in art. Like I wanted to, uh, I wanted people to actually give it the time. And to to sit with it a little bit as opposed to like dismiss it outright.
1: Well that well that's that's the thing that's so like I always look back on um I was talking with my mate on the podcast about this the other day. It's so like I always look back on like, you know, past Facebook statements or uh or statuses, sorry, and and or even just stuff I, I wrote or paintings that I did two years ago and I know that I hate it. So I'm like I'm more and more cautious to make a big statement in the fear that in a couple of years I'm really gonna regret it. Do you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, no, I know exactly what you mean. But I've got to tell you my, my, my turning point. Like, I don't know, i said this before, but, like, uh, it was actually the first Archibald that sort of uh, mm. marked a shift for me. To to get into politics in 2011, I painted Walid Ali, and I didn't paint him necessarily. Like I liked his politics, but I wasn't. It wasn't that's what that wasn't what drew me to him. It was he'd written a book called People Like Us, and he wasn't on TV yet. Uh, so I'd read his book. Actually, my dad had given me a copy of his book when I was living in Melbourne, and just really liked it. Uh, so he sorted him out as an author, um, and painted him for the archboard. He got in, and then that was a you know, huge for me. That was the only thing that had gone for me at the time. And, uh, but as soon as the work got published, like in the City Morning Herald and in the, like on the website, I just got a spade of hate mail. And I, I've told this story a bunch of times, so it'll sound like I'm just like a yeah, soundbite.
1: No, say it again, though. But it's, uh, it's a, so it was got
0: all this nasty stuff, and I had no public profile. It's quite difficult to get my contact details and get my email address or whatever. People had to jump so through and look to get it. So that was a little bit shocking. Uh, and the, the content of the stuff that I was getting, uh, it was nothing to do with the quality of the painting. Like that, that wasn't what was being discussed. It was just a combination of my name uh, and they had no other, they didn't know anything else about me because they had nothing else online uh, and Wali Dali and what they knew of his politics. And people found that a really threatening thing. And it was all essentially the, all the lines of we don't like want your type of stuff in the gallery, regardless of the fact that it was like just a pretty, it was just a very standard portrait, um, but also to go back to where you came from. And that was a, uh, that was really upset me at the time because I I was aware of the politics, interested in it, but never really engaged with it and wasn't interested in engaging with it necessarily directly, Um, but then put in a position which is uh, pretty uncommon, I think, in visual art in Australia to get that sort of negative feedback, but not from an art audience at all as well. It was just sort of – and honestly, it could have come from a couple of people just from different email addresses. Like, I have no idea, but it was enough to really piss me off. And it was only talking to Walid that sort of convinced me to to have change, change tact with my art, where he was saying it was, because I was obviously quite frustrated. And he was telling me all the crap that he was getting even then, it's pointless to get angry. There's there's not constructive at all. So the best thing to do is to, you know, if you're gonna respond or react. Like do it with where your strengths lie and do it with your creative practice and then you can have a positive contribution to the conversation as opposed to just get pissed off about it. So that that's what encouraged me and gave me the confidence where it's not something I went looking for, but something that kind of found me. And then the next show that I did I uh, had no paintings in it, but it was the first time I'd engaged with a political, like a political practice. And then it's just been that way ever since. Like admittedly that has shifted like in the last few years. Well over the side, but since 2017 sort of thing, 2016, uh the work that I've been making for I'm showing more and more internationally. So most of the shows now happen like art fairs and museums and stuff overseas. And I haven't been able to use the same Australian specific signifiers. So the work has had to be a lot more broad. Like in the in the work in the Sulman Prize, like there's nothing specifically Australian about that. It's still about politics, but it's also a little doesn't need to be like Mm. people can come into with their own thing. And it's a kind of I've found the broader stuff has worked for me internationally as opposed to talking about something specific that's happened to in Australia or a personal experience that I've had.
1: So do you find you're trying to find more that balance? It's almost like what you were saying before about the caricature over the explosions being general enough that it could apply to anyone. Are you trying to find that balance between personal and universal in, in everything you do?
0: Yeah, totally. So, like for example, the work that I had at the Armoury show was like a 12-metre painting and it had an ocean scene you know, on it uh, with these figures and like, drawings over the top. Um, but the the inspiration or the genesis for these posters that I saw in, in Indonesia put up by the Australian government that were these uh, beautiful photos of wave breaks in Australia by the, the, the text, I'm p- badly paraphrasing, but were essentially if you come to to Australia by boat, you'll never call Australia by home Like talking about the changing laws around Australia. And I was really interested in that, that there's really similar imagery by the Australian government in other parts of the world but it's a sunny it's sunny weather and they're like come to australia it's a beautiful beach location mm-hmm. but in this this other image it was like it was completely flipped for a particular audience um so i started, but i that was the inspiration for the work to use a wave break but then i expanded on that looking at the idea of oceans as as a metaphor as, as both a, a literal, barrier between where someone is and where someone want to be they were a refugee or they were seeking asylum or a personal barrier in somebody else somebody's like somebody's Mm -hmm. life where they have to overcome something which seems insurmountable in their own life but they need to do it just to move on with themselves so that that to to leave it open like that so I could talk about the politics of it but having that whole other space there for people to engage with as well and to look at it from that perspective and that's like for me as valid and sort of as Yeah, that's as successful an engagement as a political one.
1: That's really, um, really interesting. It's, um, It's been interesting with – I mean, I've sort of become more and more aware of – I mean, obviously, you know, love Australia. I'm Australian and um, patriotic in the best sense of the word, but uh, it's, maybe it's just sort of COVID um, and – I mean, Australia always had sort of hints of a very nasty cultural character, sort of um, – Uh, before COVID and I think just sort of especially in the last two years there's there's a quote from Clive James that said the interesting thing about Australia is not that we're all descended from convicts it's that we're all descended from prison officers (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just that that sort of hit my feelings about the country on the money that you know yeah I've just become there's a lot of nasty well nasty embarrassing and shameful aspects of our culture at the moment I think you sort of more than anyone sort of do the best job of illustrating that do you um how do, how do you feel about text and artworks because sort of full disclaimer i've i've had this conversation with uh tom adair um uh mate of mine and uh and uh he's um recently been uh, using a bit of text in his work and i've always sort of had a bit of a i've always pushed back against it if only because to what we were saying as well with not wanting to sort of ov- overly concretize the idea I like the idea that what I like most about art is how not ambiguous but um I think more than almost any other genre except perhaps music it's very open to interpretation and I I sometimes feel that text sort of sets the idea in stone a bit too much and then that the painting then sort of, sort of loses its life a bit um, but I know you I know you um use it a lot and I still love the works that you do where you use it but um yeah I'm just sort of interested in what your thoughts are on it did you have any hesitation about using it when you first started um yeah
0: yeah look I haven't I've never had the re- how do I put this didn't have the resistance to it but it's something which I find really <laughs> difficult like to think of it to to get the right text on an image uh for me is a real challenge like I have to think about it so much more than if I was overlaying another image or a cartoon or a figure or something like that because it's so easy to get wrong I think the text is so easy to be Naff just dumb, so mm. I, I I like it to be, I like it still to have be open to interpretation. Although some of my work is less so, but I like that it's another layer to the thing without being and still still trying to maintain that like approach of not being too didactic with what I'm saying, even though sometimes it, it, it can be mm. a little bit. But so just I've been enjoying playing with idioms or like just replacing words in a in a well known sentence or something like that, just to to mess with things a little bit just to like remix something that already exists just to give someone a slightly different different interpretation of what's happening underneath um but what actually got me into the text was there I took a certain amount of joy uh how do I put this uh have you seen that movie the other guys with Mark Wahlberg and Will Uh,
1: no don't think so I've heard of it I've seen the nice guys Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling but no not the other guys
0: Oh, there's, well, there's a scene in there where, where Mark Wahlberg uh, knows ballet, and he learnt ballet to give shit to the guy that lived up the street from him when he was a kid who knew ballet. So just I think, I've, so I've, I
1: think I've seen it actually on a on a meme or something. This that scene <laughs> yeah. specifically.
0: Yeah, where he's like jumping up and doing his thing with his feet. And there's mm. something I enjoy about that, where I could do a big landscape, and I want to paint it as good as other landscape painters, but at the same time, I want to go. I don't care fuck you like over the top like there's you now i take that joy. like in there even the archibald painting for 2020 it was a self-portrait but i did the whole thing and then spray painted the top half of black and then did a cartoon face over it but i had to do the whole face first because it's, it's almost i uh, don't want to sound too naff but it's almost a bit of a flex it's like yeah i can do it but i don't care <laughs> like it, shows, I gotta,
1: it, it shows a bit of flair i think i always find it very impressive like Picasso I think was so impressive because you know by the age of 15 he could paint photographically realistically but then he just got bored of it and he's like I want to you know break from tradition and do something crazy it's very it's very impressive i think when you can sort of show those two mindsets being sort of very sort of pedantic about how you paint and then sort of being very expressive and um yeah
0: yeah, and it's something cathartic too about building something, spending so much time being meticulous and then just like wrecking it.
1: Fucking it up. And it's,
0: yeah, yeah, totally, totally. And I really, I really, really enjoy that. So that's that's definitely part of the motivation. But it is it gives me an opportunity to to get more like when we were talking about when that, that quote you said was fantastic, they were send in prison prison offices. So I've got a painting that's in the Archive of New South Wales at the moment. So it's just a landscape. Um, and it has and it's they, they, they think they're the swagmen, but they're all squatters and cops. Mm. Like, I and mean, so that that same mentality. That's exact like,
1: same. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Totally.
1: What are your um? What are your paintings of hands about? What are you trying to express with those uh, pictures?
0: There's a very similar motivation to the explosion, but uh, and uh, there's a couple of different through lines in my work. But one of the main ones is looking at the tension between. A person's lived experience uh, and the perception of that lived experience. So, and to, to tie it back to my own experience, uh, in terms of the Archibald, people. One of the things that I kind of came to terms with the way that people were sending me nasty sufferers is they weren't really talking about me. They were talking about how they imagined me, like what what threat I existed in their imagination. But it wasn't really any reflection of who I was and what I was doing. That's not really defending them. I still think they're assholes, but like, it's sort of that, that there was a bit of a difference, and so much tension that I see is is as a result of that of people not really being able to put themselves in another person's shoes, or not seeing the humanity in another group of people, or like, or the and uh, a quote which I heard was like the moment that you treat anyone as less than human, it gives you license to treat them inhumanely mm-hmm. So that sort of that 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 tension is something that I'm looking at, and but also when it comes down to the the personal, even when it comes down to the idea of mental health and what a person is seeing from the outside is often so different to what's going on inside a person. So these these paintings were painted at the beginning of COVID and that, not really that related, I guess, to the COVID situation, but they were just sort of these miserable hands, <laughs> uh, but with these smiley faces over the top, just this sort of like this limp, kind of dead hand. Not dead, they were all my hand, but like, and then you've
1: got this... <laughs> <laughs> like conf- confessions of an artist when you have to when you have to say that you're the model in all the all the pictures i get that all the time i've been doing i've, yeah, I've been yeah, totally. i've been doing well, these, do, uh, at,
0: the, well, at the beginning of
1: covid oh, Well, yeah definitely because you've got no one else to no one else to paint from i've I've been doing these um uh sort of uh drawings of sort of torture uh figures and everyone's like oh like who'd you get to model for that i'm like wow, well, i'm not gonna go up and ask someone else to put a bag on their head get on their knees and let me photograph them am i but um <laughs> yeah it's it's also in how, um that's interesting, sort of the perception of someone versus how they're actually feeling. Is that why you crop them so tightly? Because it's almost like a a disembodied hand. It, you're incapable of actually knowing the person who whose hand it is.
0: Yeah, totally. And I like that in that it becomes a little bit universal in that respect. Like it's obviously it's not everybody's hand, but like there's, it removes it from an identity or a specific identity. And that's something where the, one of the things that the challenges I've found with portraiture, especially in showing outside of specifically portrait prizes and stuff like that is how audiences and collectors and like struggle with uh, the identity of the person. Like when so often the work is not about a specific person in that case, but it's about an idea that that person is communicating through that person, Um, but their identity gets in the way. So Mm. it's sort of, if I can dislocate that identity, if I can obscure it a bit, that helps.
1: So you prefer to anonymize the sitter so that it sort of speaks to a wider concept rather than being a portrait of that person specifically.
0: Yeah, definitely. Unless it's like the Archibald or something, which is the intention. But like mm. with, if it's an exhibition that I'm doing, like I've got these embroideries that have been going around and they're all friends of mine and it helps if I know the person because I I give a shit <laughs> about mm. what they look like. I just make, I do a better work because I've, Feel an obligation to the person as a friend, or a worse um,
1: one, depending on the mate.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I've got a few of those.
1: Yes, same.
0: <laughs> but but who they are doesn't really that like for the audience. For me, it doesn't matter if they know them or not, mm. or who that person is, because it's <laughs> about something else. Mm.
1: And it's um, it's interesting. Like, it's interesting how expressive the hand is, given how like it's it's the part of the body furthest away from the face. You know what I mean? It's um, and it's it's do do you find you can convey a lot of emotion just through someone's hand more than you can through you know even even their face sometimes.
0: Oh, definitely, and that's only in the last couple of years. Thinking about it, like how these hands are portraits, and they are expressing so much, and they are communicating so much, and like so that's what's – Draw me to them actually i've never really talk, thought about it specifically like that but that's exactly what it is it's sort of like an anonymized portrait an mm-hmm. anonymized you know what i mean yes an anonymous universal i portrait think that's of right yeah.
1: i didn't get the red line when i wrote that up in the question so i think it's a word but but um do you think um do you think your background as uh, a muslim has affected your work or the subjects you choose
0: yeah definitely uh but I have to unpack that a little bit. It's the identity and the perception of the identity that has shifted it. So not necessarily the the nuts and bolts of the religion or, or like growing up with it. Because like in my day-to-day practice and what I do with my life, it, besides my name, there's not much that I do that people will go, oh, he's Muslim, apart from mm-hmm. how I'm perceived. Like I might look, I don't mean that. I Muslims are called different and I've just, it's, I've got an Arabic name, but um, uh, but I absolutely identify as a Muslim, but it's that perception of that identity that really shifted the, the politics of it mm. um, and that's what people saw and it's like it's funny, even like professionally that i had I was in an exhibition i won't say which one, but it, i uh, it was at a group show, lots of good artists in there um, and it was my fault I missed the email where I had to write my um uh, artist bio mm. uh, so the curator who put the show together wrote a bio for me it's two hundred and fifty words and they said. Muslim eight times in it, and it's just mm. sort of yeah, you get pigeonholed a little bit in some ways. But so, so yeah. that's one of the I've been enjoying showing overseas because I'm not my name's not eccentric. Like
1: yeah, it's just, yeah, and it's that's an interesting point. Yeah, it's the it's the perception of Islam that's the interesting um, thing to depict. Not it's not necessarily the fact that you're Muslim uh, that shapes how you paint or why you paint. It's other people's perception of it. That's quite interesting because i've heard i've heard you talk as well um before about how sort of uh 911 sort of was a bit of a pivot point in your life and in how you were treated by a lot of people uh, in australia day to day would you mind talking a bit about that as well
0: yeah no worries it was a that was a big shift for me like and like so my father's a white Australian. So we're convict stock on that side. We're directly mm. descended father to father to father to a guy who came from London in 1815 mm. after stealing two stamps and a watch chain. So, like, I'm, I'm proud of that family history. Wow. And on my on my mum's side is Malaysians, but my dad converted to Islam, so mm. Muslim parents. Um, and, uh, like, copped a little bit of racism, like my family and my mother especially. She's, like, a little brown lady wearing a scarf. Like, and that was a pretty common experience. Mm. But after 9-11... Uh, it, it felt like a really sharp distinction in the way that we were treated. Like beforehand, like I remember in the suburb that I grew up with, like it was mostly Islanders, Aboriginal kids, uh, heaps of like uh, Italians and Greeks. And the, the Muslim kids were not that dissimilar to like the Italian kids where we were like sort of ethnic with parents who had beards or like the Greek Orthodox Church. And then they had like a priest who had big beards. and stuff. It just wasn't that different. Mm. But then after 9-11, there was this like really – that we were like the perception of criminality, uh, really af- affected. Well, the people that I know and myself, I can't speak about everyone, but in the communities that I'm mm. a part of, like the the day, like the day after nine eleven, like the kind of the day of because it happened late in Australia.
1: How, how old were you? How old were you when it happened?
0: I was fourteen or fifteen. I can't remember. I think I was fifteen, maybe. But like, right, it was- so
1: you can remember it. You can remember it vividly then, because I was only five, I think, or six. So I can't really. I can't really remember oh, Right, mm.
0: yeah man. I remember I was there sitting with my brothers playing Gran Turismo and my sister called us and we flicked over and watched it all happen live. But then that that next day, because that was at night or late early in the morning or late at night, and then the next day my mother was going into the city and she's wearing a scarf and she like got attacked by a group of men who tore a scarf off, and like it was just like the violence was Im- immediate. Even and it's so that's a serious situation. But on a funny side, like the first place that was uh uh, vandalised was a Sikh temple near me because people didn't know the difference. Yeah. So they spray painted a Sikh temple that's, up and shot pigs out of it. A,
1: that's such an appropriate representation of ignorance. <laughs>
0: yeah, totally, totally. And people were copying it like it was just like. And then the mosque that was near me that got vandalised like every and it was just it was palpable.
1: Um, were you were you were you aware as you were watching it happen? You're like, oh shit, this is going to you know cause cause us a lot of grief or did, did you honestly no you know? didn't think it didn't have, think
0: it had anything to do with us i was mm. like oh that's some terrible people on the other side of the planet mm. involved in a conflict that i was so far away from and then mm. uh like from the next day it was just like he opened the paper like there's people that look like you and names like you the bad guys i had i've had people like friends of mine like arrested on suspicion of like terrorism stuff who were not It was not the case and, uh, like, you know, charges in the stick and that sort of stuff. So Mm -hmm. the idea of surveillance, like uh, even like we had like federal police or I don't know, maybe I can't remember if it was federal police or Asia or someone, but it was like a a federal body come to our house to speak to my dad because he'd been to Afghanistan in the 1960s when he was a hippie. But, like, it was just that was, yeah, so you, you felt like you were being watched and and you were being watched. Like some of the people were being watched, and it was just uh, you felt all of a sudden felt very unwelcome in public spaces. So that was it. and I could see it affect my friends really poorly in the suburb that I was grew up in. Like the Muslim kids, a whole bunch of us were ha- like like halfies. Like we were like our dads were white converts, and our, our mothers were from Pakistan or Malaysia or Indonesia or wherever. And so we had like non-Muslim family and Muslim family it was just a bit of a combination. Mm. And what I found really fascinating was that my generation all around that, who were going through our formative years around 15, were already sort of like brown and poor. So already kind of on the fringes a little bit. But you, you either kind of went two ways, where you got uh, very pious in your religious beliefs and really, really conservative. Or you aligned yourself with other marginalised, vilified group, which is usually criminal. So, like mm. that's why you get situations in Sydney where you get two brothers, one who's gone to join ISIS, which is a terrible situation, and another one who's like a chero so like a, a like a blackie. So mm. it's sort of, and for me, I saw similar motivations in that respect. Not necessarily the piety that I was talking about, but like it was both in both situations, it was people retreating from society in a way because it mm. not not feeling and and the flow-on effect for that has just kept going. And the fact that, like, how many political parties that we had in the last election whose primary platform was to stop Muslim immigration or, like, yeah, like, the, it's it still has a lasting effect. So, mm. yeah, it's it, that was uh, a big challenge. And it just pissed me off. Like, I didn't understand when I was a kid, and it wasn't until I was really engaging with it as an adult that I could sort of unpack these things in hindsight, understand them a little bit better and understand people's uh anxieties and things like that and sort of yeah get not be not so angry about it and to just get a little bit more context
1: did you get to a stage where you felt sorry for ignorant racist people in because i mean they're the sort of i mean i i mean that might sound a bit strange but i mean you feel so from it's like you know you're going to lead a miserable life sort of with that attitude kind of thing and so long as i mean so long i mean your mum getting assaulted's a bit different um but i mean so long as it's not in that realm i guess you can kind of um sort of have a bit more removed perspective but yeah that's that's horrible do you know do you know much about the situation with the 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 uyghurs in um xinjiang in china
0: yeah i'm learning more about it as we go like and it's 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 kind it's really frightening (laughs)
1: yeah that's sort of like the most um you kind of get the same sort of like cold apocalyptic Feel you get when you sort of read about the Holocaust and stuff with that. It's like this. it's not about even oppression of these people. It's about wiping them out. and um yeah, and I know because nine eleven was um, very much weaponized by China, yeah, uh, in that situation to i mean i've had I've had a historian on this podcast before who sort of said that um you know China were sort of smiling with glee when nine eleven happened because you know they'd had conflicts with um uh in uh xinjiang uh, or east Turkestan as it's actually called um for you know decades um and they you know finally thought ah now the west is going to sympathize with us wanting to oppress our own people and they've certainly done that with that
0: but- and that's what like it it frustrates me knowing like in the australian's involvement too like in iraq and afghanistan there's hundreds of thousands of civilian deaths and like we're mm. Yeah, you know, that's on us as well, like, That's sort of. And I
1: and and, and never meant never mentioned and often called a conspiracy as well the ho- the the death that was like doesn't sound like a conspiracy to me. Yeah, it's
0: it's, it's atrocious. And on on it's and on the speaking of like feeling sorry for people, like like I've been accused of like playing like when I've spoken publicly about it, and I used to speak more publicly on race and that sort of stuff. I'll kind of pull back a little bit, but like playing the victim. But I've never ever felt like a victim. Mm. I've felt like these people that are emailing me, like they're victims of themselves. Like my life is going on, but they're caught up in their 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 nightmare of a world that they exist in, which is mm. like under this existential threat of these imagined people like me that's out to get them mm. um but but and then sometimes it can get like i had a situation in the end of 2019 that was really difficult where i had two embroideries in a um exhibition in mackay so far north queensland uh but they were uh, depicted these two uh, australian soldiers with uh but i'd made them anonymous so covered up sections of their face uh and used photo references but just sort of like change them a bit change the color of the uniform uh remove their like cover their eyes with sunglasses or whatever so make them like not specific and then put these smiley faces over the top and it was part of a larger series where i'd done the similar things with images of my friends where it was again talking about that tension between perception and reality like what we put out to the world and what we compared but it was also like in my artist statement i was critical about like engagement in war overseas and how we perceive it like and how our soldiers are acting on behest of the government and our government is acting on behest of us. So we are responsible for all the good that they do, but also all the bad. And so this is before the Brereton Report. This is before the war crime stuff were coming mm-hmm. out. But it was it was looking at responsibility and how we sort of frame these things. Um, but then uh, it the the work uh, was no, was seen by a councillor who took it to his uh, federal member, who was politician, George Christensen, uh, who's... Very much on the right end right-wing end of politics and he uh then went to sky news and channel 9. or oh, i don't know if he went to them directly or they just saw this I, I saw this in
1: the news i remember yeah
0: yeah and then and then also to the rsl and then you got these like old veterans who are on the news saying that i'm comparing uh australian soldiers to blackbirders and i it's my own ignorance i had to look up what blackbirders were like whatbirders so, like, were so the Blackbirders happened in like North Queensland, like people that owned cane plantations who essentially had a slave labour force from the Pacific Islands and stuff like that, like or like indentured labour and that sort of mm. stuff. So the, the slavery and indentured labour or like, you know, not paying. Yeah, that was all happening in far North Queensland on these plantations. Uh, but it was, I had not, like, I don't know how they, but like they got to that because there was another artwork somewhere that was talking about Blackbirders and like from an Indigenous experience. But it was yeah, but it all got conflated, and then it was really frustrating to watch the news reports where they were saying there's an artist called Abdul Abdullah that's criticizing veterans, mm. and then that's the story that went everywhere, and it, that was the first time that it kind of like I've had situations like that before where there's been you know people having to go at my work or there's been petitions to stop a show based on misinformation, but this mischaracterization of my intention just kind of like and don't get me wrong i like the idea of people looking at my work and bringing their own interpretation like i love that ordinarily but this got really really dangerous to the point where there was people coming in and making like violent threats to the old ladies who were volunteering at the front desk of the gallery and stuff like that and they got to the point where the works were removed from the show by the they got taken down by the mayor um and that doesn't happen that often in australia unless it's the situation of legality like where there's if there's a question of somebody's broken a law, then works are taken down. And like every time that that's happened, the work has been put back up because it's very rare that anyone's done anything illegal. But this work wasn't put back in that show, uh, and it was taken down because people were offended, and they were offended because of a misinterpretation of the work. and And it was I think it was entitled to do with my name because like even my name was. Ben Quilty or my name was like mm. something else I don't think people would
1: have. I completely taken agree any with that. Issue. They they see it more as, oh, there's this Muslim man who's now criticizing our soldiers and you know, that sort of seeps into all the sort of racial undertones and yeah. Mate, I, I thought those works were great. Um and I uh I thought, you know, more than anything, I I thought it's it was capturing it wasn't saying anything critical of about a specific person. It was I thought it was just capturing the general craziness and sort of madness of war in general and um and the sort of I felt very much I was made to feel I was thinking it's strange how sort of professional and uh organized this madness is you know we we have these soldiers who are uh, you know paid for by a government that we vote for they're given all this you know amazing. You know uniform and weapons, and then this they go to this country, and you know they're all psychologically broken from it. they're made to do terrible things um yeah, no, I thought they were really good. People don't seem to be able to get Iron- irony doesn't it seems to be like a unknown concept to so many critics these days i like when you see someone um, I remember seeing a lot of criticism for the movie American Sniper by Clint Eastwood, and I just thought, and you know people were saying that was. Um, you know, just too too nationalistic and stuff, and too sort of pro american perhaps it's because it was released, you know, at sort of the height of people seeing the flaws in the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. But I always just saw that movie as a um much much the same as your paintings, just a criticism of the horror of war. The whole the whole movie is sort of like a character study of what war does to a man, and um yeah, and I well, guess
0: people don't say nuance, yeah.
1: Yeah, or they don't, and they never—they never take the charitable view first. They always like you know they always assume really nasty intent before they assume good intent. I mean, if someone if if you you know came out in an interview and just you know explicitly said this soldier you know is a monster, did this or that, it's like I'd perhaps I mean you're entitled to that view, but I'd perhaps understand the um, animosity towards it a bit more. But it's just it's so open to interpretation, and people still choose to choose the nastiest interpretation about it it's interesting i think
0: yeah and Um, frustrating (laughs) it's good though
1: it's good to have a bit of controversy i mean that's made i reckon it would have you know got your profile up a bit it's sort of you know not that that's what you care about but controversy is good i think
0: yeah i mean it did it it didn't because it was so it was it was my profile was lifted in segments of australian society that don't like me, <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, I just became. Uh, but I, I, I like I don't know how professionally, positive it was. But it was, it was just one of those things that I had to. That was just gonna happen, and it and it does surprise me, like uh, when it does happen. So something similar happened in Perth, in the Arcado WA, where I had a, a picture which is a balaclaved head, and there was uh, a photo in the paper of me standing in front of it, and then that caused like. Uh, threats made to the gallery again there was uh, a petition to stop the show a local politician spoke about it letters to the editor and it, it was just a, it was a battle climate head but it was a, like a painting collage so one eye was Kanye West one eye was uh Beyonce and the mouth was Madonna's mouth and it was mm. sort of for me just like playing or it was kind of a fun painting and it never occurred to me that this was going to piss people off but people saw that and they saw my name they saw the head they said terrorist head terrorist person state galleries uh their tax dollars are going to support terrorism we don't want this show so it was like it's just kind of bizarre how it Mm. happens sometimes
1: some people i feel people sometimes take art a bit too seriously would you agree with that
0: yeah but it's not in 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 the in the case of that it's not people that are really interested in art generally Mm. in those in in those situations like yeah, like it, it wouldn't occur to someone necessarily that was art was their passion or something which they were really interested
1: in. Mm, they sort of pick and choose their outrage. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, broad question, why do you think art is important?
0: Well, I I flip around on this because sometimes I don't think it's important at all. Like I just kind of – like, you know, I don't want necessarily – to advertise the fact, but I, like sometimes I feel like I'm just making expensive posters, but like it's it's. <laughs> it's but I I I what I enjoy about it uh, is like I. One of the things that I was taught early on is to be audience more than you are artists. So I just see as much work as possible. That's why I kind of like, as as dirty as art fairs are, I, I love them because I get to see a thousand artworks of all different people introducing new practices. And to be challenged by ideas or just to be like seduced by an idea or just to like see a brush mark that I really enjoy, like there's, I I find that uh, endlessly rewarding. But one of the things that i found really positive and I guess as a reflection of what could be perceived of as importance, is some of the reactions that I've gotten from high school age students I do heaps of stuff in high schools so like once a month I go visit a school and do a workshop or demonstration or just like talk to them about my practice and my experiences and some of the and now I'm on the curriculum in New South Wales Western Australia, and, and, and Queensland and so I think they have to study me at some mm. points which is good and bad but like so I get heaps of emails from kids and you get the way that people are young people are responding to some of the works and seeing them as, as reflecting some of their own experiences has been really, really, really rewarding where the work isn't necessarily uh it's not a facsimile of their experience. I'm not trying to like like emulate what that what they've been through, but there's enough of a shared experience that they can have an access point. Mm-hmm. And by discovering the work and finding that access point, they feel some ownership over the, over the idea. And it's for some people that have reached out to me. They've helped. It's helped them understand some of their own broader contexts, and that has been really rewarding. And it's just also looking at things in a way that's not like you were saying, not didactic. So like, like just look, like flipping things over. Like I did, um, this is a few years ago now, but I did some workshops at Parkville Juvenile Justice Centre in, in Melbourne, and just talking to those got young guys in there that are you know institutionalised. They're all they're all sixteen, seventeen, but they've been in and out of. To these boys' homes were like this yeah, since I since to were little, but just the opportunity to talk to them about unpacking an idea or not or seeing a symbol or seeing an image and not looking at the obvious thing, but just sitting with it and seeing what the person could mean by it and just just to engage with something a little bit deeper. So I think that is really, really important. And so art can platform and facilitate that way of thinking, which I really enjoy, just out of the box thinking. So I'm, I'm sorry, that's kind of a bit of a rant. So it's a bit of no, a <laughs> rant.
1: That's what, that's what podcasts are, mate. Rants are good. Um, well, thanks for coming on the podcast, Abdul, and it's great to speak with you. I know we've gone back and forth heaps on uh, Instagram and stuff, but good to you know finally properly meet you and been a fan of your work for a while now. And um, as I said, it's had a big effect on my work, um, especially in uh, terms of my technique. So um, yeah, really appreciate it.
0: Oh, thanks, man. Thanks so much for having me on. And I love your paintings, bro. They're, they're, they're sick.
1: Cheers. <laughs> I appreciate it. Appreciate it.